Well, good evening. Can you guys hear me? This thing on? Good. Hey, it's uh, it's really good to see uh, so many people out here tonight in this cold, snowy weather. I am uh, almost positive that it's not because it's date night tonight. So, um, so I'm glad you guys are here. Uh, if you guys don't know me, uh, my name's Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Rimrock Downtown. Um, I'm not paid to do this, so you can't fire me. Um, so, uh, but I am just privileged to to be able to be up here and share with you guys tonight um, God's word and uh, what God has shown me um, in His word. And so um, I'm really excited for that. But I want to start us off just uh, uh, praying, and uh, and then we'll dive into what we're talking about. Um, so let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, uh, we just thank you for bringing us here tonight, that we get to dive into your word, and we get to um, see how much you love us, and you care for us, and we get to hear from you uh, in your word. And I pray that we would just open our hearts and open our ears to, to you, and turn our affections toward you, and that you would speak to us, and that you would um, lay on our hearts anything that we need to um, address with you, and that we need to um, lay down before you. And so thank you for giving us this opportunity uh, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, we are walking through the book of Exodus, uh, the story of Exodus, actually, and the story of, of Moses and the Israelites, um, and really, in a general sense, um, doing a broad look at, at Exodus and the general themes that we see uh, presented in Exodus. And last week, um, Evan, uh, as he put it, drew the short straw, and he got to uh, share with us that, uh, you know, we are all in a place at one point or another, we are all in a place of acting in rebellion towards God. And that puts us headed straight towards destruction, towards death. Uh, that puts us in a place of that we are enslaved in, into sin, um, enslaved to whatever it is that is, uh, that is in our lives that is um, in rebellion and acting against God's will and, and what he says and his plan for us. Um, but we are also in need of a savior. And we're also in need of being saved from that, that sin and that enslavement in our lives. And we have to come to a point where we recognize that. We have to come to a point, as he said last week, that we recognize our need and our need for a Savior. And so uh, I guess I, I drew the, the long straw because I get to talk about how much God loves us and how he is our Savior. And I get to talk about his salvation for us. And uh, that's awesome. I love that, you know. Um, I get to talk about um, God's plan for salvation for us. And there's many ways to talk about this. There's a, there's a lot of different ways that we can go about talking about God's salvation for us. You know, we could talk about the theology and the doctrine of salvation. We can talk about how we all need salvation. Um, we can talk, uh, you know, about how to receive salvation and, and all that different stuff. But tonight... Um, I want to look at it in this light. I want to look at the character of God in salvation. And I think that Exodus presents us with uh, a unique look at the character of God 
in salvation. And, um, you know, speaking of the, the character of God, being a parent, um, like many of us uh, can attest to in this room, being a parent shows me more about the character of God than anything else in my life, I think. Um, being a parent uh, shows me how I, um, you know, act toward and how I discipline my own children and shows me how God disciplines me and how God loves me as his child. Um, and so it, it teaches me so much about the character of God and the love he has for his children. Um, in fact, I got a lesson the other night as we were um, sitting at the dinner table, uh, my family and I, uh, my wife Sharon over there, I have three kids, um, Emery's seven, Copeland's four, and Lucy's ten months. Um, and so uh, Copeland, of course, we were at the dinner table and Copeland, my four-year-old, uh, was doing what he generally does at the dinner table and is jumping up and down on his chair, right? And so he's jumping up and down on his chair, and uh, Sharon and I, as typical parents, are, um, you know, just telling him, Copeland, stop jumping down on your chair. Stop, sit down and eat your food. Sit down and eat your food. Stop jumping on the chair. Why stop jumping on the chair? Because you're going to fall off, right? Like you do so many times before, right? You're going to fall off again, right? And we're in the middle of this frustration and this anger with our four-year-old to stop jumping on his chair at the dinner table. And all of a sudden, I do not see Copeland's head anymore. I see his feet that are straight up in the air, and his head is straight down, heading towards impending doom to <laughs> crash headfirst onto the floor, of course, and immediately starts wailing, right? And so that's my, exp I'm, I'm sitting there across the table, and of course, I just sit there and listen to him cry, and I say, I told you so. <laughs> I, I told you you were going to, no, that's, for those of you that don't know me well, I, that's not what I did at all. I immediately sprang to my feet. In fact, Sharon and us both flew our chairs across the kitchen and jumped over almost in a singular mo motion. I think I, maybe in a past life I was in gymnastics or something, in a singular motion jump over the table and, and try to catch. I didn't catch him soon enough, but, uh, you know, and pick him up and wrap him in my arms and run over, you know, to the couch and, and make sure he's okay. And I jump to his rescue, right? That is immediately, immediately what I do. And it's just amazing that, that what began with frustration and what began with anger toward my son not listening to me moved immediately to an act of rescue in his need. And... What caused me to act that way toward my son? What caused me to act uh, to, to rescue my son rather than sit in my seat in judgment toward my son? It was my unconditional love for him. My unconditional love for my son and the fact that I am for my son. I am for him and I will do everything for him regardless of how foolish he's being, regardless of how foolish he's acting and his behaviors are, I will act for him as well as the rest of my children. This shows me the, so much the character of God and, and that kind of character of God is revealed in Exodus. And um, there's a verse in Exodus 2 
verse 23 through 25, in, in just three verses, it shows us the heart and the character of God. And it says this, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, but the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And here's where we see uh, God's heart. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God knew. In this, we see God's character in, in three major ways that I see it. Um, one, that God heard their cry. Do you know a God who hears you? who hears you when your cry is turned toward him. You see, when our cry is turned toward God as theirs was, he listens. The psalmist says it in Psalm 66. He says, I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. You see, when our cry is toward God, he's listening. He listens to us, to our cry, and he's there. God heard their cry, and God, secondly, saw and knew their afflictions. God saw and knew their afflictions. God is so attentive to what we're going through. The psalmist again in, in Psalm 56 says this, You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. I, this I know. God is on my side. See, God is a God that sees your affliction. God is a God that knows your affliction. He knows so intimately what you are going through. And he hears you and he knows you. And the third thing is that he remembers. This is amazing. This is awesome to really see this, that he remembers his promises. God is faithful to his promises. He remembers us. That word uh, remembers, when it says he remembered, uh, it, it says it many times in scripture. And when he says it, it means, it literally means that he intends to act for the welfare of his people. Whenever it says God remembered Abraham, God remembered Moses, God remembered Noah, it, it means that he intended to act for the welfare of his people. God remembers us. He, he remembers us from the day that we stepped out of the garden. He makes a promise that I will send a rescuer. And he remembers. He remembers us through the days of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. He remembers us through the days of Moses. He remembers us through the days of the kings and the prophets. He remembers us through the day that he came down to be with us. And he remembers us to the day he hung on the cross. He remembers us and he remembers his promise. And he is faithful to fulfill it. God is a God who remembers. This is God, God's character revealed. 
You know, when we cry out to him, he immediately sets this plan in motion. Remember, he intends to act, right? He immediately sets this plan in motion that he's already had in place. You see this with with the Israelites. They cry out to him, and he sets this plan in motion that he's already been planning, right? Because with Moses, he spared Moses from being killed as a child, He set in motion and orchestrated events that Moses would be sent out into the wilderness to be a sheep herder for 40 years in the same wilderness that he would later lead the Israelites for 40 years. He sets these things in motion and all of a sudden he's just waiting for the cry of his people to come to him and he is ready to act. And immediately he acts and sets this plan in motion. I have a question for you guys tonight to just stop and pause right here. Can you guys see the hand of God and God's plan working in your life to bring you to this point tonight? To bring you to where you are today? I think that if we look back at our life, we can see God's working in our life and God's placement of certain people, of certain situation, of bringing us to certain places that he has set this plan in motion to bring us exactly to where we are today. And we need not fret because he knows exactly where we're at. We only need to cry to him to bring our praise and our cry from our lips to him. Can you see God's plan working to bring you where you are today? What has God been doing to bring you here? And in this, God immediately acts, and we see God's plan. God immediately acts by going straight to Moses. He hears Israel's cry. He goes straight to Moses that he's already been preparing for this moment. And Moses, he meets Moses in the burning bush and sends him straight to Egypt. Says, you're going to go help my people be free, set my people free, right? And all of a sudden we see God's plan revealed. And God has a plan. And in this, uh, in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 9, we see God's plan revealed to his people. And he says, say therefore to the people of Israel, he's saying this to Moses, but he says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God's plan is to redeem. This is actually the first mention of the word redeem in scripture. That he plans to redeem. And it literally means to purchase a slave's freedom. I am going to purchase my people's freedom. He's going to draw us out from where we're at. He's going to draw us out of slavery, out of sin, and that's his plan to redeem us and draw us out, but that's not the end of his plan. That is not the end of his plan, and so many times we stop there. So many times we stop it. God's plan is just to save me from my sin. God's plan is just to forgive me from for all my sin and God redeem me and take me out of where I'm at, right? God's plan is only to to take me out so I don't have to um, experience hell, right? 
He's just going to save me from hell. He's going to save me from myself. He's going to save me from all that stuff. And we stop there and we never look. God has a bigger plan for us. And we see it right here as we keep going. He says, not only will I do that, but I will do this. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land as I swore to give to Abraham I will, and Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. God's plan is not just to redeem us. God's plan is to restore us. God's plan, he wants to restore us into that relationship with him. He wants to draw us out of our sin and into a relationship with him. We see this, this plan to restore as, as God in the, in, in the Exodus. Um, we see it as he draws them and pulls them out of Egypt. And then once he's out of, they're out of Egypt and he's drawn them out of their slavery, he then gives them the law. He then gives them the law to live by. This is a new life to live by, right? He draws them out through the Exodus and into giving of the law. Just the same, Paul shows us this in Romans, that Jesus did that for us, that he drew us out. And just as the exodus was for the Israelites, the cross and resurrection is for us. The cross and resurrection is our redemption from sin. But just as the law was for the Israelites, the giving of the Spirit the Holy Spirit is for us. That God has called us not just out of sin, but into a new life. And Paul says it this way, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He has brought us to a new life. Do we know that? We just sit here and we look at God as, okay, God's forgiven my sins, I'm good. Or do we know that new life that he has for us? That life lived by the Spirit that we can live. That God, this is part of God's plan. It's amazing to see like right after that, um, God lays out his plan to redeem, to restore. And all of a sudden it says, Moses spoke this to to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You know, sometimes we can cry out to God and still not believe that he'll save us. Sometimes we can cry out to God and still have doubt in our mind and in our hearts. But here's what I think, and here's what I see in the story of the Exodus, that did this stop God from acting? You know, the people just, they, they still didn't believe because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. They still didn't believe that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. But did that stop God from acting on their behalf? No. You guys, God's plan, no matter how dull our ears, no matter how broken our spirit is, no matter how wicked our sin, how wicked our addiction, how deep into ourself we are, how many doubts, no matter what's going on in our life, nothing is going to stop 
the redemptive plan of God for us. He is still going to act. He is still going to move. His plan for salvation is not going to be stopped by us. Also, it says, uh, so nothing will stop God's plan. And we see immediately after this, God goes to work. And he goes into, uh, through Moses, working through Moses, he goes into the Pharaoh and he starts laying out these plagues that he's sending. And he goes plague after plague. That some of us, you know, most of us are probably familiar with that, whether we've, we've read it in scripture ourselves or we've seen it you know, through Hollywood or Charlton Heston or you know, Christian Bale, whatever, that we've seen the story play out, right? And he sends all these plagues on the people of Egypt and on Pharaoh. But what's his purpose? You see, God not only has a plan, but I think he has a purpose in his plan. And we see his purpose revealed in this. In Exodus 9, um, it says, For this time I will send my plagues on you yourself. I'm going to stop there. That word yourself literally means your heart. I'm going to send my plagues on your heart. You guys, God is always about the heart. Where is your heart? You see, we can go through the motions and we can act on the outside all the right ways, but where is our heart? And God's plan is to change our heart. I'm going to send this stuff on you yourself, your heart, and on your servants and on your people so that, and this is his purpose, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name will be proclaimed in all the earth. God's purpose is always to turn our hearts to him, our heart to him, not our behavior, not our actions, but our heart to him. And to acknowledge him as the one true God over all creation, that there is none like God. And his plan is to turn our hearts to that. Secondly, in Exodus 14, it says this, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. In verse 17, it says, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get the glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. God's purpose is that he gets the glory that he is glorified in this, not just by us, but by all creation. Not just by us, but by the one who's enslaved us. God gets the glory, not us. Why is this so important? Why is it so important to know that God gets the glory, that this is really his purpose? God has a heart for us. God has a plan for us, but God has a purpose for us. And why is this his purpose? Why is it so important? His purpose, that he gets the glory, that he is known as the one true God, is so important because we, so that we would know that he is the Lord and he is bigger 
than Pharaoh. He is bigger than Egypt. He is bigger than sin. He is bigger than anything we are going through. He is bigger than addiction. He is bigger than depression. He is bigger than anything that we are going through right now. God gets the glory so that we know he is big enough. That he does it, not us. And also so that we would not be tempted to take any credit whatsoever for this. God has a purpose to make him known. So he gets the glory so that we can't take any credit for this. We cannot take credit for our own salvation. And in looking at this story, we see that this is a story. The story of Israel and the story of us is not about us. It's not about Israel. It's about God. It's about God and it's about God's glory. Your story is not about you. It's about God and God's plan for you. You know, God wants us to know that it's him who hears our cry, that it's him who redeems, and that it's him who gets the glory in this all. And I think that if there's, if there's one thing that I would love for us to just walk away from is that in the salvation of the Lord, in his heart, in his character, in his plan for us, and in his purpose. All of this should move our hearts to worship him. All of this should move our affections toward him, to know that he hears us, to know that he redeems us, not just to save us out of our sin, but to restore us into relationship with him to bring us to a new life and that he has a purpose so that we know that he is God and we are not. You know, I'm going to have the worship team come up, but I'm going to have us do something um, different to close this out. Um, As the people of Israel and as Moses brought them out of Egypt, um, as he brought them out, And the story that we so well know that he brought them through the Red Sea. They get beyond the Red Sea. And uh, they experience the salvation of the Lord. And just like I said, it should move our hearts. It should move our affections to worship him. It immediately moved their hearts to worship. And they immediately sang a song to God. The words that you'll see on the screen next is the first portion of that song that they sang to their Lord that saved them, that brought them salvation. And so I'd love for us all to just stand together. I would love for us to just say these words together with the the knowledge and the heart that God is for us, that he has a plan for us to redeem us, to restore us, and that he gets the glory. Let's say this together. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown in.